Amen. All right, did you find Luke chapter 2? Someone tell me, what, are, what, what things do we read about in Luke chapter 2? You should know this right off the top of your head, right, Noah? All right, we read about the, probably the, more, the most complete account of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. We also read about, uh, and it's distinct and unique uh, to Luke, and that is the, the presentation of Jesus in the temple as, as a young baby. And then, of course, we have really the only, the, the, the only summation statements we have of the young life of Jesus Christ. There's two summary statements that are in this chapter. One is in verse 40, and one is in verse 52. And we're going to kind of refer to both, but primarily... Our text is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. Now, this follows the account where we learn in uh, verse 42 that Jesus was 12 years old. There's a couple of you that are 12 years old this year, all right? So this is, this is you, and all the way up, this is the only thing we know about Jesus. Luke 2.52 is the only thing we know about Jesus from the age of 12 all the way to the age of 30, when Jesus began his ministry. This is all that we know. In other words, we could say that this is what Jesus was about from the age of 12 until the age of 30. If you want to know what was Jesus like, look right here in this verse. And really, what is, what is recorded for us is a pattern or a template. And so this week, we want to talk about the, the teenage pattern of Jesus. We'll do that all week long, and really dig into verse 52 and bring out some practical thoughts, all right? So we're going to get um, kind of nitty-gritty with some of those practical things, but I hope to be able to help you with some of those practical things. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is a pattern for us. It's a template. Patterns and templates are, are nice things to have, aren't they? Um, and we were talking about the, the imprinted letters all right, in Sunday school, where all you have to do is put your pen in and follow the groove in the paper, and you can draw the, the letter properly. All right, so you're, I, hopefully you're beyond that. I'll probably know when I look at your sermon notebook whether or not we need to get you one of those for your penmanship. But anyway... Um, hopefully that's not a problem. Hopefully you're beyond being able to draw your letters and write your name. Um, but templates are important for other things, um, especially like in the use of, of construction. Um, some of the guys that, because I don't, I don't have time to do much construction myself, I just watch it on TV. And so the guys that I watch on TV, all right, they, they're all about making templates and patterns. So if they got to make a cut, they're going to make, a, they call it a jig, all right, a homemade jig. They'll make a pattern and a template so they can just stick, stick their saw in, follow that template, and get the same product every single time. A template kind of helps uh, with doing that. Some of you, I guess Cassidy maybe, all right, when you sew, do you have a template? It's called a pattern, all right? And you unfold that, that brown sheet of paper and you lay it out on the, on the fabric and then you cut along the edges. If you didn't have a, if you didn't have a template, if you didn't have a pattern, Sewing would be pretty difficult, would be hard to do. So patterns and templates are helpful things. And we find a pattern and a template where you could, you could take your life as a teenager, as a young person, 
and you could apply the pattern to say, how, how am I doing? What, where does God want to take me? You probably have a good idea. You look at your parents, you look at uh, uh, your pastors and other leaders in your life, and you have a good idea of what the adult is supposed to look like. But then there's this gap, right? Okay, that's kind of where I'm, I'm headed. That's where I'm going. How do I, how do I get there? And there's a, there's a template. There's a pattern that's here to help you. Now, I want to point out just in passing really quickly that there is a foundational aspect to this pattern. Now, this is the introduction. We'll get to the main points in just a second. But there is a foundational aspect, and that's the ground level. That's where everything starts. I'm going to assume today that you have this foundation pretty well laid. The foundation is found at the end of verse number uh, 51, actually um, the, the middle of verse 51, where it describes Jesus following the, the account at the temple in which Mary and Joseph left him behind, and they came back, and he is, he is uh, speaking with the, the, the doctors and, and the experts in the law and and talking about spiritual things with them, and asking them questions, and listening to them. Um, and so that's following this. You notice how verse 51 says, he said, it says, he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. The foundation element of this pattern that we want to try to follow, foundationally, you need to have in place already, and we're not even going to really deal with this, submission to authority. If you're still struggling with rebellion, disobedience, disrespect, failing to honor your parents, fighting them, pushing against them, all those sort of things, if that is still where you are, you're still an elementary level. You're still pre-12, all right? You're still a little kid, okay? So I'm assuming, and we're, we're, we're coming to Jesus at this point, he already has, all right, he, he, he's already clearly demonstrating submission to biblical authorities in his life, and even beyond our comprehension, really, because his parents, Mary and Joseph, were not perfect individuals. You know what that's like. Your parents are not perfect individuals, and you're at the stage in your life, you're probably starting to identify, oh, that's what's not perfect, that's what's not perfect, that's, what not, that, that's uh, not what it should be, that's where my mom and dad need to grow, and you're probably right, okay? You have a measure of discernment. You can probably see that. The temptation then is, all right, because they're not what they need to be, then I don't really need to be what I need to be. But here you have Jesus, and that's a temptation for you. Think about him. He never did anything that was wrong. He was without sin, and yet he subjected himself, he submitted himself to parents that were sinners. That elevates his submission. I say all of that to say just very briefly that this idea of submission to your parents and other godly authorities in your life is elementary level. It's little kid stuff. You should already have that down. And if you don't, let that be a challenge to you, okay? If, you're, if you find yourself in the middle of conflicts and disagreements and problems with your mom and dad, you might think yourself as mature and grown up and all that sort of stuff, but you're still a little kid, okay? So that's the foundational aspect of this. Let's talk about the key element of this pattern. And again, this is all introduction. It's found in verse 52, and I'm going to refer to this many times, all right, over and over and over again. You come around there, it's fine. Um, and that is, let's see, the third word 
in verse 52. What is the third word? And Jesus increased. Increased. Can I uh, get some guys to help me real quick? All right, Josh. Robbie, you can help me. Uh, Michael, you can help me. Titus, you can help me. Um, Robbie, I want you to stay right here. Um, Josh, I want you to go over there. Uh, Michael, go stand by Miss Sharon over there. Uh, who's left? Titus, go to that door, exit door, all the way over there. Actually, Josh, move, move about halfway down that aisle. Here is an, uh, something that should relieve and excite you. I'm just going to keep them there for the whole time. It's kind of hard to take notes, right, guys? Far away. I want you to all do something for me, okay? You are going to move one step closer to me. Go. Okay. Did Robbie get closer to me? He did. Did Michael get closer to me? He did. Did, did you get closer to me? Okay, I'm going to take his word for it. He looks like he's in the same spot, but whatever. I'm going to trust him. He got close. Josh, did you get closer to me? All right. All right, I want you to take one more step closer to me. Are you sure you moved? Now, I can't see it as well over there, because he's way over there. Um, but every one of these guys, did they get closer? They did. All right, go ahead, sit down. What, what does that mean? Well, the foundational, the key element of this, the foundational element is submission to parents, but the key element is the increase. Do you realize today that no matter who you are, everyone can increase? No matter where you find yourself in your life, you can increase. You can draw closer, okay? Now, some of you are at different places in your life. Perhaps that is due to your age. Perhaps that's due to just circumstances that you face in your life. You're at different stages in different places. But all of you can increase. All of you can grow. And that word increase means to beat forward, which is it's a very interesting word. It refers to a blacksmith taking a piece of metal and heating it up and then taking it to his, his anvil and then beating out that metal in order to lengthen it or to increase its length. So is the idea of increasing, is it something that is easy? Well, in some senses, it's easy because it's simple. You're just taking a step. But there will always be resistance to growth. But the idea of increasing is I'm pushing forward. All right? I like the idea in, in football of moving the pile. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking, I'm, I'm carrying the ball one step further. There's always going to be resistance to that. And here's, here's the danger, especially in our culture today, where everything is easy. And, and I'm going to warn some of you because I've, I, I, there's a pattern in, in, in teenage life that is, it's, it's fairly normal, but it is very concerning. And that is where you just kind of find everything that's easy and that's where you plant your flag. That's where you are. 
soon as you, as soon as you come up against something that's difficult or something that you don't like or, or something that pushes back a little bit, you say, well, I, I'm just going to go and take the easy way out. I'll quit. Or in, this, in, this, uh, in our culture and society, we have the thing called ghosting. All right. You know what ghosting is? All right. That's where ghosting is where, you know, you have a relationship with somebody and then they just disappear. This happens all the time in in church life. All right. Somebody comes, they visit the services. They're like, this is great. I love this. Love the preaching. This is wonderful. This is my church. I belong here. And then three weeks later, you're like, where did so-and-so go? And so you're like, let me, I'll text them. And you send them a text and no response. I got their phone number. I'll call them. Ring, 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 voicemail. No response. You wait a little while, text them again, call them again. No res- It's kind of like they poof, turned into Casper the Friendly Ghost and floated off away. Why do people do that? Because it's too hard to actually say, I have an issue or I have a problem that I need to work through. People don't want to admit that. They just want to disappear. Why? Because it's easy. They don't have to come face to face with the issues, the problems that are there. And in this idea of increasing, there's an encouraging aspect in which all, all that God wants out of your life is to take a step forward and to increase. But there's a difficulty there because increase always involves pushing up against some resistance. If you're not facing some resistance internally in your life, then can I say you are not growing? And this, doesn't, this is not just a teenage thing. This is an adult thing. I need to be growing and pushing up against some resistance in my life from my own sinful flesh and from circumstances and perhaps even trials and difficulties. I need to be going against those, those things so that I can grow. Increasing. I'm moving forward. The key, key word and definition, I'm advancing. I'm advancing. I'm proceeding. I'm making progress. I'm, in, I'm changing my state for the better by advancing and making progress. That is the key element to increase. We're going to refer to that because uh, grammatically in the verse, you could put it this way, break it down, and Jesus increased in wisdom. Jesus increased in stature. Jesus increased in favor with God, and Jesus increased in favor with man. I want to point out something before we, before we move on and get into the heart of things today. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't fully comprehend, although in doing some study, God uh, connected some dots for me. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But we need to understand something about Jesus. The Bible teaches that Jesus was 100% fully God. He was divine. He is deity. But the Bible teaches as well that he was 100% man. He was completely God and completely man. The Bible brings this out. The fact that Jesus was at all points tempted like as we are, that's his humanity, yet without sin, that's his deity. All right, And there is a, there is a perfect blend of these two things. Now, exactly how this works, I have no idea. Did Jesus know the... No, didn't know the, the, the quadratic equation and everything there was to know about math because he was the one who created math in the first place. Did he know that when he was three days old? 
That's a trick question. Because <laughs> it's yes and it's no. In, in the wisdom of the Father, and this is where it gets a little bit, and I, we'll just leave it here and move on. In the wisdom of the Father, there was a, a veiling or perhaps a covering uh, uh, to some degree of the, the capabilities of deity. There's a lot of like fanciful stories. By the way, if you read these, you probably just need to throw them away. There's stories like, you know, Jesus and Joseph are out in the carpenter's shop and, you know, Joseph measures the, the piece of wood and he's like, oh man, it's, a, it's an inch too short. And Jesus says, well, dad, you want to check that again? And he checks it again and it's the perfect length. Or, you know, there was, there was, a, there was a kid that they were playing with out in the woods and, and he was being mean and unkind. And so, you know, he, he suffers a massive heart attack and he's dead. Those things actually exist, by the way. Some of you are like, where are you getting this from? They actually do exist. Um, they're just fanciful, man-made, all right, pieces of, uh, of, of just garbage, okay? Somehow the father, in his wisdom, and along with, of course, Jesus is going along with this, submitting to the father's plan, there, there's, there's a veiling of, of his capability and his deity so much so that in this verse, we're told that he is increasing in some of these things we're going to talk about this week. Now, again, how this all worked, uh, particularly, I'm not sure. I'll give a little bit of explanation kind of as we go in some of these areas. Um, but And the reason I think that that exists is so that we could have a pattern, a template. Jesus was a junior high kid. Now, perhaps some of the annoying aspects of junior high uh, kids that we often think of as junior high kids, no offense to the junior high kids, but uh, those kind of things, perhaps some of those weren't as bad because he wasn't cocky. He wasn't like, didn't think he knew, he knew everything. He wasn't waltzing in as like, I'm the, I'm the alpha male from sixth grade and I'm here to kind of rule the roost, you know, uh, like some, sometimes junior high kids. Did I tell you about the junior high advice that we gave to Robbie? All right. So those of you in junior high, this is the advice. We said, Robbie, here's the thing. All right, we've done this for many years, so let me help you out. Junior high kids, the best two things you can do in junior high, be quiet and listen. If you do that, you will be amazed. All of a sudden, the senior high kids will be like, I like this kid. This is a cool kid. You come in, you're like, oh, I've got all the jokes. I, I've got, I know everything. I'm going to correct everyone. I'm going to show them how to really play ball. You know, I'm going to. Yeah, you do that, you're going to be like, oh, that kid. All right, so there's free advice, free advice. But, you know, Jesus was a junior high kid. Jesus went through puberty, changes in his body. Jesus had to learn things. He probably, you know, did a measure of, of, of schooling of some degree. I mean, he learned how to read. He learned how to write. He learned a trade from his father, most likely. We assume that's what he did. So he had, to, he had to learn. And in doing so, he lays a pattern. He was where you are in your life. And he was where I am in my life. That means there's something to follow. It's not just like he's way up here. We'll never, we could never be like that. In a sense, we can't because of his deity. But then he leaves a human pattern for us to follow. So... 
Don't forget that. If I say some things, all right, to, to emphasize a point, that's not to take away the fact that he was 100% man and 100% God. Yet, we are told in verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Increasing in wisdom. I know that was an extremely long introduction. We'll go quickly, I promise. First of all, all right, number one, Jesus increased in wisdom. What is wisdom? Number one, what is wisdom? That's a good question. If Jesus increased in wisdom, what in the world is wisdom? Well, let's talk about some things that wisdom is not. Wisdom is not intelligence. Some of you are pretty intelligent. You know a lot of things. Maybe you know about science, or you know about math, or you know about history, or you know about current events. Some of you are like sports intelligent, all right? You know a lot of facts, a lot of figures. And it's great because at this time in your life, your, your brain is to the point where you can absorb a lot of different things. It's a great time to just fill your mind and grow your mind. And you will find when you get, get older, it's a lot harder to grow your mind. But wisdom is not intelligence. Just because you are smart, just because you get good grades, perhaps, just because you are, you know, you look around and you're the top student, does not mean you are wise. Wisdom is not intelligence. Wisdom is not talent. Some of you are extremely talented. You can, uh, you can build things. You can, you can play instruments. You, can, uh, you, you have a lot of, of skill in, in, in a certain area. You're talented, but just because you are talented, just because you can sit at the piano and play a beautiful melody, or maybe even compose your own melody, play from ear, some of you can do that. That's a tremendous talent. Talent does not equal wisdom. They're not the same thing. It's not intelligence. It's not talent. It's not giftedness. Wisdom doesn't necessarily come as a result of age. Let's look around. There's a lot of really unwise adults out there. It doesn't necessarily come from experience. Now, age and experience help. But Jesus is referred to as increasing in wisdom as being wise. He's a lot younger than everyone else around him at this point in his life. What that should be is an encouragement to you. Okay? Because some of you look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not as intelligent as so-and-so. I, I don't have the talent that they have. I don't have the skill that they have. I don't, I'm not as gifted as they are. It doesn't matter. Those things are not prereq- prerequisites for wisdom. So that's what wisdom is not. Let's talk about what wisdom is. The word wisdom is defined by uh, Strong's as the knowledge and practice of the requisites. You know what that word means? A prerequisite is a course that you have to take. So you don't take Algebra 2. You first take without taking Algebra 1. All right, so Algebra 1 is a prerequisite of Algebra 2, something that comes before or something that is required. So the knowledge and practice of what is required for godly and upright, wisdom, or, or upright living. And that is really the key. Knowing and practicing what's required for godly living. 
Webster, in his dictionary, defines wisdom as the right use, and I underline that term, the right use and exercise of knowledge. If you study the book of Proverbs, you will see those three terms used, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and uh, we don't have time to do a study on those things, but basically, you can, you can break it down simply in this way. Knowledge is knowing what God says. Understanding is knowing why God says it and how those pieces fit together, but wisdom is knowing how to apply what God says and then actually doing the work of applying. Now, there's also kind of a pattern in growth here. It's not that we don't need knowledge and we don't need understanding and wisdom is the thing. Wisdom is built off of those things. We need to know what God says. We need to have knowledge. We need to pay attention and listen and learn what does the Bible say. Fill our minds with knowledge. That's a good thing. Now, it's not a good thing if you just stop there and you're just like a Bible trivia machine. You need some understanding. Okay, what does that actually mean? How do those things come together, tied together? That's understanding. Okay, I know what not only what the Bible says, but why God has given us that and, and, and how it all fits together. But even that is not enough. It's good it's part of the process, but now you have to actually take what God says and why God says it and now make personal application. That's where the wisdom is. I'm going to give you a working definition, all right? If you want to write this down, it's fine, um, but I think this encapsulates everything. Wisdom is the ability and willingness to base all of our thoughts, actions, and decisions on the principles of God's word. I'm going to repeat that, okay? Wisdom equals, or wisdom is, the ability and willingness to base all of our thoughts, actions, and decisions on the principles of God's word. The ability and willingness to take all of what goes through my mind, the actions that I take, the decisions I make, and I'm going to base those decisions and base those actions on what does the Bible say? What does God want? And there is an element of wisdom where we kind of look at the situation, we look at what's going on, and we have the ability to identify this is what God wants. But actually going the step further, not just about identifying this is what God wants, but then doing it. And there's an element in wisdom in which you actually do it. And if that's missing, then wisdom is lacking as well. We could put it this way. You know, in order to do this, to base our, our thoughts and actions and decisions on God's word, in order to be wise, I need to know the word of God. But I also need to know the God of the word at the same time. I need to know both. The word of God and the God of the word. I mean, we could gloss over this, but it's an important element and component. Do you know God? Some of you have a lot of biblical knowledge and understanding, but you don't know God. You're as lost as lost can be. And really, until you apply the biblical knowledge, I mean, you know everything, not everything, but you know close to everything there is to know about salvation and how a person gets saved. 
Some of you are just looking at that little portion sliver you don't know, and that's kind of causing you all sorts of, uh, of, uh, of consternation and concern, like, I want to figure all of this out before I actually do it. No, you know, you know enough. And it's a problem to, to know all these things and to understand how salvation works and why a person needs to be saved, but then fail to wisely take action on what you know. Do you know God? You will not be wise if you do not know God. Well, I know all about the Bible and I do what the Bible says, and, but yet I'm not saved. Okay, you're, you're not wise. Wisdom is not there. In the book of Proverbs, there's three different individuals that are described. There is the simple, there is the fool or the scorner, and there is the wise. The simple person can't be wise because he's simple. He he is ignorant of God's principles. He doesn't know. And there are some people who they, they're not really interested in knowing. They don't apply themselves. There's even young people who are, you know, they don't know a lot and they don't really make it their business to know. They're just sort of floating. And when you confront them and you say, well, what, what about this? What do you think about this? And, you know, you get the standard answer. I don't know. Huh? Me? Huh? Simple. You can't be, a simple person cannot be wise until the ignorance is dealt with. And now they have something to apply. Of course, then you get to the foolish person or the scorner. The scorner cannot be wise. He does not have the ability to be wise because he knows God's principles, but yet he refuses to actually do them. But the wise person has the ability to be wise and the willingness or the desire to be wise because he has a desire to live and, yes, even to change. Part of growth is change. He has the willingness and desire to live according to God's principles. He's invested the time and the attention to learn and not just verbatim learn a bunch of facts, but he has taken the time and attention to connect the dots there's an interest when the word of God is preached. There's an interest when, when difficult questions are asked and, and you're thinking it through. And what, what does God mean? What does this really mean? And then there is the desire. As soon as I find out what it means, I'm moving immediately to, I want to make this a part of my life. And I have to make this a part of my life. That's what's wise. What wisdom, look like, what wisdom looks like can be distinguished in this contrast. Think about this. What does the decision-making process of a child look like? Okay, let me take some ideas. When you were a child, and I'm just going to assume you're not a child anymore. We'll make that assumption for today. What, what were, the, what were the, uh, the value systems or the basis of your decision-making process? What kind of questions did you ask? Callie? Oh, can I give you one? I don't mean to make fun of you at all, but um, Callie reminds me because she loves, she loves candy. So every day, it's true, all right? So she's admitting to it. So one of the, the decision-making process for a kid, and you all have this, I have this too, is how much candy is involved, right? 
I mean, be honest. I mean, part of why you enjoyed VBS Carnival so much was how much candy was involved. All right? So your decision-making process is how much candy is involved. All right? How, how, can, I, how can I get more candy or re- acquire money so I can buy more candy? Uh, how can I hit up the stack machine for more, for more stuff? All right? Now, that's just a humorous example, but that's one of the things. All right? You base your decision. On, and we should, I, I'd love to spend some more time on this, but I really need to move on. You're a, a child is asking, what pleases me? How much enjoyment am I going to get out of this? Here's one. A lot of, and you just need to grow out of this, right? You make decisions on, based on how do I feel. So when somebody asks you, why are you doing that? Well, I just don't, you know, I just don't, I just don't feel. It's very dangerous. The basis of your decision is, you know, I just didn't feel like doing that. Okay, that's how a, ch- that's how a child makes decisions. Um, a child says, which, which path is easier? I got this path here and I got this path here. I got to decide between the two. That one's easier. Boom, decision made. I mean, there's not even a thought given to it. It's just easy, easy, easy. That's how a, that's how a child makes decisions. I hope you didn't make your decisions about what classes and courses you were going to take this year based on which one is easier. I've told you probably, and some of you remember this, I did that one time in my high school, and I regret it to this day. I was a senior in high school. I was doing Saxon Physics. That's that big black book, and we were working through that. There's math all throughout that from beginning to end. And then I had the option. I finished uh, Algebra 1 and 2 and and advanced math. And so you know what comes next, right? What comes after advanced math? No, business math is the easy way out. Calculus. And I had a choice. Now, if you're taking geometry, I don't mean to insult you, but geometry and paces or Saxon calculus. And I said, well, you know, I'm already doing so much math and physics. I don't want to add more to that in my senior year. I want to enjoy it. Or I can do geometry, which is an absolute pushover. Sorry. It was if you're a senior, okay? You had all that in, in, in advanced math. It's not that you need to learn how to geometry work. So if you chose geometry, I'm not, I've, I have no idea who you are. Mr. Anger does. I have no idea who you are. So I'm not to insult you. I just know for me, the decision-making process is which was, which one was easier. So I did geometry. And to this day, I cannot stand before you and brag, I took calculus. Do you know how much that hurts? Man, I had it. It was right there. What was my problem? My problem was I was making a decision like a child and not like an adult. You will find there are times, and you should be alert to these times, where you are given an opportunity. You're challenged with an opportunity, and everything inside of you is going to be like, I don't want to do that. And the wise thing is to be alert to that and say, you know what, just because I don't want to do it, I'm going to make myself do it. Many times that is the wise decision-making process. So that's the child. The, The person who's growing in wisdom They're asking this simple question. What does God want? 
what does God want? Honestly, I don't think, going back to that decision, I don't think I asked. One time did I think, what does God want? See, does God care whether you take calculus or... I mean, God has a will. God has a plan. I'm sure... And and you know what? I don't know what he wanted exactly because I didn't ask him at the time. I just made the decision based on what I wanted. So the wise decision-making process asks the question, what does God say? I'm going to move quickly through the rest of us. That is, what is wisdom? Number two, how did Jesus demonstrate wisdom? How did Jesus demonstrate wisdom? Well, the other summary statement is found in verse 40. This is talking about Jesus before he was 12. It says, the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Jesus demonstrated wisdom by being filled with wisdom. In Luke chapter 2, a couple verses later, we find Jesus in the temple. And honestly, the way I read that text, and I imagine it in my mind, is that you know they're there for the feast that was customary for Mary and Joseph to bring their family there. And I just imagine in my mind, there were a bunch of, uh, of older men who were together discussing finer points of, of the law. What does the Bible say? What, is, what, is, what does this doctrine mean? And it's almost like Jesus was walking by and, and it was kind of like, ooh, that interests me. Jesus was drawn by wisdom. And he just, and I, and I, I don't mean this in disrespect to, to, to him at all, but it was almost like he couldn't, Resist. I've, I've got I've to be doing this. And he says that to Mary, right? Wist ye not that I, I need to be about my father's business? This is what I need to do. This is what I was made to do. This is who I am. I, I, I need wisdom. I, I, I need to be around wisdom. I need to be exposed to wisdom. And he gets drawn in and the Bible says that he is sitting amidst the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. He was drawn by wisdom. He was filled by wisdom. He's drawn by wisdom. We won't take the time to, to, to go there, but the, our text says this very clearly. Jesus was increasing in wisdom. In Matthew 13, the second time he returns to his hometown, Nazareth, and he begins to, to preach and teach in the synagogue. Matthew 13, verses 54 and 55 talk about how people were absolutely flabbergasted. They were amazed. They were shocked. They said, we remember isn't this, isn't this the carpenter's son, the, the son of Joseph and Mary? We remember him as a little kid. How is he so incredibly wise? Because he grew in wisdom. He grew. He had no formal education necessarily in, in the Jewish sense, in the scriptures. But yet he was an authority in the scriptures. How? Because he made getting wisdom his top priority. Priority number one. And you can ask yourself, you know, compare yourself to the temple. It is getting wisdom, pursuing wisdom, being drawn by wisdom, seeking wisdom. Is that your number one goal? Is that what you're drawn to? When, when, because remember, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. It comes from the Word of God. When the Word of God is open and it is, it is explained and it's, it's taken apart piece by piece and, and, and it, it comes alive, does that attract you and draw you? Or you're just like, you know, what time is it? I hope they're done soon. That's wisdom. Jesus demonstrated wisdom. 
Lastly, last, last point for today. I'm going to give you some practical things. How can I grow in wisdom? Okay, so I want to be wise. I want to increase in wisdom. How does that happen? Practically speaking. Here's just some verses I'll give you real, real quick. Um, six things really fast. First of all, to grow in wisdom, you need to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. I like that. Meaning they're, they're so tied together. It's like wisdom is, is instructing with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is leading to wisdom. And they're just, they're just inex, inex, uh, inextricably. All right, combine. I was trying to get the right word. Like you cannot separate the two of them. They go together. Fear the Lord. If you want to be wise, if you want to grow in wisdom, fear the Lord. Number two, if you want to be wise, if you want to grow in wisdom, you need to learn how to surrender your wisdom. Surrender your wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Don't make decisions based on what you think you know. Your own understanding. But trust, lean on have faith, depend on the Lord. He continues on. This is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know these verses. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Be not wise, be not wise, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. What does that mean? What does that mean? Don't think you know everything. Don't look at yourself and say, I'm so much better than everyone else. I mean, at my grade level, where I am, I'm so much more spiritual than almost everybody in the youth group. Uh, You're just demonstrating yourself as a fool, as someone who is not wise. Because true wisdom, and to, to increase in wisdom, you need to surrender your own wisdom. It's kind of like, I know nothing, God knows everything. Well, if you can have that attitude, you'll, you'll be set in life. Surrender your wisdom. We could talk more about that. We don't have time. Number three, how do I grow in wisdom? Ask for wisdom. Here's a simple thing. You know James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But you know what you first have to, you have to be at a place where you need wisdom before you're going to ask for it. If you're wise in your own eyes, you've got it. Why do you need to ask? You know, I've been given everything. I know everything. So I'll just go off what I know. But if you really have a sense of your need, you're going to be more inclined to ask. Ask and God will give. Ask in faith, verse 6 says. With the faith that says God said he will give it. So therefore I am asking for it. And he will give it to me. Ask for wisdom. Number four, how can I grow in wisdom? Receive instruction, counsel, and rebuke. That's a deep subject. We could spend a lot of time. We're not going to. I'll just read Proverbs 19 and verse 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Seek out instruction, counsel, and don't reject rebuke when it comes. Because that's going to be our, it's your natural tendency. It's all of our natural, we push back, we fight. 
we resist rebuke. When somebody says, you were wrong, prove it. I wasn't wrong. Here's all the reasons why. A wise person receives instruction and counsel and, yes, rebuke as well. Number five, if you want to grow in wisdom. And, again, these, are, these could be independent studies all on their own. Proverbs 13, 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You need to choose wise friends. There is a measure of maturity, and we'll deal with this a little bit tomorrow, but there's a measure of maturity and personal awareness where you realize and you understand, how do I act and behave around certain individuals? Have you picked up on this yet? I remember in junior high, there was, there was a kid that was kind of cool. And I kind of enjoyed the fact that he was open to even hanging out with me. It was great, you know, my ticket. I'm going to hitch my wagon to this ride and see how far it takes me. But I noticed something. And that was when I spent time with them, I would talk the way they talked. I would use words that they used. And not that they were, you know, overtly bad or overtly uh, uh, sinful, but it was kind of like, why am I talking that way? Why am I using those words? Some of them were, I don't know if I really want to be using those words, but when I'm with them, I use those words. There's an awareness that when I'm with them, it doesn't help me. Some of you guys need to have this awareness. I'm just going to say this in Sunday school. Being next to so-and-so is not good for me. Move up. Right? The wise person says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and find somebody who's making decisions based on what God wants, because that's wisdom, right? And I'm going to go spend time with them. Oh, but they're not cool. Okay, all right. So we, the, the process just fell apart there. Do you want coolness or you want wisdom? Which one? Identify people in your life, and yes, even young people, in our, and say, you know what? I can tell. I can, I can hear it in the way they talk. I can see it in the way they live. They want to do what God wants. I need to spend time with them. Choose wise friends. There is a huge impact to the people that you spend time with on your life. And then lastly, wisdom. How do I grow in wisdom? Invest your life in ministering the gospel. We sing the song, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is Wise. Wisdom. Make your life about taking the gospel knowledge that you have and giving it to someone else. Investing your life in someone else. I'll close today with just this verse because it summarizes everything. Proverbs 4 and verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. What does that mean? Wisdom is the principal thing. Principle. Someone want to tell me? It's not just Mr. Anger's thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Not all at once. Anthony? Okay, the leading thing, the thing that's in charge. It is the most important 
principle means, in this, in this context, principle means it is the premier thing. It's the number one thing. It is the top priority. Wisdom is the top priority. Wisdom is important. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, what's the next two words? You know this verse. Therefore, get wisdom. Wisdom is not hiding from you. It's not running away from you. Go get wisdom. It's right there. Yes, there's a cost that's involved, but it's right there. Go get wisdom and with all thy getting, get understanding. I like that phrase, with all of thy getting. So add understanding with all of your getting and with all of your getting of what? Of wisdom. Go get wisdom and get so much of it that is described with all of your getting. Kind of like your arms are full. And then, oh yes, I forgot some understanding. Let's, let's add some understanding to that. That's kind of the picture that's there. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. You say, well, I look at myself and I don't view myself as being very wise. That's actually a pretty good first step. But no matter where you are and your wisdom, right, how you're practicing some of these things, you can increase. You can stay, take a step further. Now, we're not going to have an invitation today or, any, or anything like that. Here's what I want you to do one thing, all right? There's a list of six things, very practical six things. Without looking at your neighbor or thinking about what someone else is, is doing, circle one of those numbers. What's one practical thing that I need to do to grow in wisdom? Fearing the Lord, surrendering your wisdom, asking for wisdom, receiving instruction, counsel, rebuke, choosing wise friends, investing myself and ministering the gospel. What's something very practical? Because growth is all about where's the resistance in my life and how can I, like the blacksmith hammering that metal, how can I push against that resistance so I can increase and grow. The pattern, a teenage pattern of Jesus is that he was growing in wisdom. Father, thank you for this time that we had together. I pray that the young people would make practical application. I pray that all of us would make practical application of these simple things in our lives. I pray that we would make the pursuit of wisdom the principal thing the most important thing. And would you help this school year to be a year in which these young people are growing and increasing in wisdom. Thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Bless the rest of our day. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.